Welcome to the Start Here podcast for web development. I'm Keith Monahan, And I'm Dane Miller. And we're here to show you how to build a career in web development. You can find us online at starthere.fm. Hey, Keith. How's it going? Great, Dane. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. Well, I just wanted to really quickly highlight um, a comment we got on the website earlier this week uh, from Charles. He says, thanks a lot for doing this podcast. I'm currently a student at the University of Washington front-end certification program, a nine-month program. Yeah. And in, in the process of listening to all the episodes. So what are the most important things I can be doing now to get started in a development career after graduation? Uh, besides preparing for the common interview questions like you mentioned. Um, And I responded there, but um, thanks for the question, Charles. We really appreciate that. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today. If you guys have any questions, we do want to say that even though you can leave them on our website, we would love emails as well. Dane at starthere.fm is mine. Uh Keith at starthere.fm is mine. And we would love to answer, you know, whatever we can on the air or in email. Usually we do answer over email, but if it's really good and you want us to, you can just put in there answer this one on the show and, and we'll try to do that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so to answer Charles' question, basically the most important thing you can do right now is to build your portfolio. And we're going to get into that today, actually. Yep. I think this is going to be an exciting episode and we're going to dive right in. Yeah, I think it's going to be super valuable for anybody that is just beginning a career because, you know, this is the quickest way to get to yes that that we've seen. And that's why we want to share it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some of the first things that we have to think about? Because you can't just, I mean, you could just go out and get and try to get projects or a client or something, but it might be kind of frustrating. And so there's a few kind of preliminary steps that we think would be good to go through ahead of time or to think about. What's the first step, Dane? Well, I think there's a few outlines. So like we could talk about it from a a bit of a higher level. I think the things that you want to focus on are portfolio and references Mm -hmm. before you have any projects. Mm -hmm. So to get to get your first client, you do have to have a portfolio, right? People want to see your work. This is one of those industries where you have to show your work, kind of like the traditional design or the design industry where, you know, you have a portfolio of your stuff and People will look at it and say, oh, yeah, I like your style. Let's do that. So similar to that, to get paying clients, you've got to be able to show people what you've done and, and kind of prove your work. So that's, that is the, the good thing about this industry and kind of the difficult thing because the, the good part about it is that you don't have to get a college degree, right? Right. This industry is fantastic because you can get into it. You can learn it yourself like what, like what we did and like what, what you're doing, the listener here, and figure it out yourself. But what that also means is that you can't hide behind a piece of paper. You actually have to know your stuff. You have to show it. And so having a portfolio is how you do that. Right. This is one of the main questions that people have when they first start. Like, how do I get a portfolio if I've never done any work and I don't know enough to get a client? Now, some people think they should do a project for themselves. So they think, you know, I have an idea, so I'll just build it and then that'll be part of my portfolio. That's actually a great idea, but I think that utilizing your portfolio building time, as I like to call it, in a strategic way is even mm-hmm. more beneficial. Sure. And and by that what I mean is What if you could do a project for somebody else that had another benefit, like you had access to this person's professional network 
just as being tangential to this project you did for him. Mm-hmm. And that that's pretty strategic because you're building a portfolio, you're doing work for free, but you're getting a network with it, a, a second party network. And that is going to be very beneficial for you in the future when you try to pivot around your own network and find gigs and clients and jobs. So doing projects for yourself is is probably great to begin with, like to get learning a little bit. But once you, I mean, pretty quickly, you need to get out and start doing projects for other people. And if you can't get paid clients, and you may not be able to at this point, you can do projects for free, right? And so if you're going to do them for free, well, let me back up. When you do a project for free, what do you gain out of it? You're going to have something for your portfolio, and that's pretty important to have something that you can show people that you say you've done. That's mm-hmm. half of it, though. The other half, like what you were saying, Dane, is that you're building a relationship mm-hmm. with somebody. And networking, that's the other half of this industry, is knowing people who can refer clients to you and, and who can give you a good reference. And that is that is huge. And that's what you were saying with you know connecting with somebody and then using their network of people is that if you do a project for free for somebody there's this this natural kind of law of reciprocity where if you do something for somebody else like a favor or just you know you just do it for them for free yeah. they're going to feel obligated to do something back for you right and and one thing that's interesting about that is i don't think you should expect something from everybody that you do something for free with but I will say that it's just all about getting your name out there. And I know that's like a cliche phrase to use, but think about it this way. A bunch of people either do know your name or don't know your name. They either know your name because you worked with them on projects or not. And mm-hmm. it's better if they do because then you're part of their world. You're in part of their implicit you know, in the thing about this world that you're part of with this person is web nowadays is very mature and it's usually building businesses that you're helping these people with. So you're positioning yourself in this person's world in a very high stakes place. So the law of reciprocity is greatly weighted towards you mm-hmm. in an incredible amount. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid to, I mean, if you've done a project for someone for free, you know, you've helped them out a ton. You've given them a lot of value don't be afraid to ask okay don't be afraid later on to to ask them and say hey do you know anybody that that might need some help you know right if you delivered well for this client Mm -hmm. ask feel free to ask the client for references on linkedin for a little testimonial for your website feel free to do whatever you need within reason with this client Mm -hmm. to get a reciprocation of some sort Again, though, I wouldn't say it's healthy to go into every relationship thinking you're going to get something out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's what we're coming at at this episode. Okay, so you want to start freelancing or you want to build your portfolio. We think a great way to do that is to build stuff for free. And there are a number of places where you can do that. And we'll get into that in just a second. But what makes a good project, Dane? A good first project to me has a few different hallmarks or characteristics. One of those characteristics is... I mean, let's talk ideals and then maybe we can step back into reality. But ideally, the project would have these characteristics. The person would work for a very high net worth or highly marketed company such that everybody that you tell that you did this project to is going to know this company's name. Mm -hmm. And then also the project would be well outside your comfort zone, but still within view. So you have to be able to see how you might do that, even if the seeing involves a learning process. Mm -hmm. 
you still, I feel like there is a boundary where if you accept something that's too far out of your comfort zone, you perhaps could crash and burn and you could burn the bridges with that potential client. Let's just say this. You shouldn't know how to do the entire pro. I mean, if you're doing this for free and to build your portfolio, you shouldn't know how to do the entire project because that's half of the project. I mean, that's half of this whole thing is, is the learning experience to level up your skills. Yeah. Working with somebody from like a high net worth company or a well-known company. So for example, some mid-level manager at PayPal, maybe, maybe they want to do a side project and you get to build something for them for free. And then mm-hmm. on your portfolio, on your website, on LinkedIn, you can say this project with so-and-so who works at PayPal. Mm-hmm. And that that is name recognition and it automatically puts you at that level. And that's right. and that's good. And a lo- and we're not saying that you have to we're not saying that you have to reach out to these companies and these people directly. A lot of these sites that will list most of the time people that are on these sites usually have a full-time job at a bigger company and they're looking to start a side project or they're looking to start a company that they will eventually take over and they're starting it on the side at their full-time job. Mm-hmm. So when you approach somebody like this, you may be concerned that you don't know enough to, to do the whole project. And, and what we're saying is you shouldn't, right? You, you should be learning this as you go to some extent. How do you, how do you sell yourself then? Why is somebody going to choose you? And the answer is you just have to be confident and, and make them believe that you, you can do it. Right. And one of the ways you can do that is if that you connect with somebody through a network of other developers. So we're going to mention a few websites that where developers and designers and these different types of people, they go to find help. If you're connecting with somebody through that kind of a medium, they're going to have a certain expectation that you already know what you're doing. And and so you kind of ride the shirt tails of other people in the community. And that'll help you because they may not they may not come in and question as much your level. And that's great for getting started because this is all stuff you can learn. You can, you can start, you can get into a project and you can figure it out. Um, and so I don't think you have to be worried going in. I agree. So some of the places that we, well, Dane, where, where did you find some of your first projects? What was your process? When I first started, there was a site called build it with me. And I used that site primarily to find clients and work. And my first client ever, actually, I found on build it with me And it was actually similar to what we're talking about. It was a client from PayPal who didn't pay me and I offered to do work for free building a shared asset library of different items. So you could share books, cars, houses, pretty much anything. And it was a... MVP style product product. So it only took a couple weeks to build, but so wait, what's MVP minimally viable product or minimal valuable product. Okay. So what an MVP is, is basically the first thing that you can take to an investor or that you can take to market. So if you have an idea and you strip away, uh, basically you strip away every feature that you possibly can. And, and then the very core of the idea is left. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So you had this you had this project that you worked on and um essentially you were you were able to just kind of build the core functionality for the for the project. The guy you worked with didn't wasn't trying to, you know, build it out completely. He was looking to sell it, right? I mean, he was kind of shopping it around and trying to get investors. Right. Yeah, so he had me build the or I built the MVP after discussions with him about what would be the best way to go about it and they ended up shopping it around to various investors and, mm-hmm. and VCs. And ultimately, they didn't get funding, so the product slipped 
it fell through the cracks, obviously, but Mm -hmm. there was a great learning experience from that. And then also what came from that is the ability to use him as a reference. He's still a great reference for me, even though we only had probably three months or two and a half months of communication in total, Mm -hmm. two and a half years ago or three or four years ago, he still is a great reference because I guess that rule of reciprocity or the law of reciprocity or whatever it's just that you offered to help them in a time that was so critical like shopping mm-hmm. around an app for for vc funding that is a life decision mm-hmm. and you were you were a part of it in some small way so mm. that was really cool a lot of great experience and also being able to put paypal on my resume didn't hurt yeah seriously some sort of connection there that's yeah. cool well it kind of leads into our, our next point here. So you have the project now. Let's assume you've gotten your, your first project yeah. and you've opened up communications with the, the person you're going to be working with. Now what? Right? Like, what do you do now? How did he give you the project? Did he give you a document or did he just explain it to you? He gave me a document actually for the first item. And then I came back to him with a mock-up after a meeting. Really, I think the first critical thing to do is to have a phone call. So everybody just get on the line and you've probably had a phone call already, but if you haven't yet had one as you've gone through the formal process of of working with this person, then you should have one at the project kickoff. And mm-hmm. usually that is a term that people use, the kickoff call, but but it's so intuitive. We didn't even know the term and we still did it back then. And we actually used that call to create a series of documents and then a series of mock-ups that we, sh- we sent back and forth until they were correct. And then I took those mock-ups and basically built the web app from those. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. But a couple of other interesting documents that you might look into are a vision document. If it's a company or product that is very solidified or in the minds of the client very solidified, then you can ask for a vision doc, which is usually a short paragraph or a couple sentences as to what the ultimate vision is or what the ultimate goal mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And, and accompanying that, you have a longer document, usually called a spec document or specification document, where they will list out all the functionality Mm-hmm. And that's gold. You, if somebody has that already, then then you know they're serious and they've thought through this, and you can probably have a bit of confidence that that they're ready, um, that they're ready to have you come on board, right? Because the risk here is that somebody's on one of these sites and they say, "Hey, I have a project. I need some help," mm-hmm. and you're out there looking for people to connect with. So you connect with somebody, but maybe um, maybe they they don't know what their project is, right? So if they can't explain their project to you in like a sentence or two, yeah. like what what, the, what it does, or at most like a short paragraph or something, yeah. then, then maybe it would be important to ask some clarifying questions, right? Right, or move on. I mean, here's the thing. I think when you're choosing your first client, and again, we're talking about clients that are not going to be paying you. When you're choosing your first client, I really, really, really think the right person makes the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. I would spend five to 10x of what you think you should spend finding that client. I would email and go through communication on Skype and back and forth about ideas to multiple and multiple different people 
so that you can evaluate the vision and evaluate how serious these people are and even how you work together as a team. Mm -hmm. Because you have to keep in mind on a number of levels, this client's going to affect you. It's going to give you a taste for what your future is going to be like. And then it's also going to be a potential strategic move for you in your career. So on a personal level and a career level, it's very important. Right. So when you're when you're looking to to find a um, a partner, um, go ahead and open up communi communication with a few different people. Like you know, even maybe five to ten. I don't even know five to ten people who you might want to work with, and just feel them out. You know, and try and understand which one of these projects would be would be best to to kind of start with. I mean, don't get don't get too bogged down. We don't want you to to get bogged down with decisions and then not do something. I mean, then just right. But I mean, I would say this is the one time where I think making a very strategic and, and you know, because you'll have multiple projects, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. Like if you are somebody that is just trying this out and you get a client that leaves you with a really bad taste in your mouth, or if you're right. like a flimsy kind of person, you're not going to continue. Mm -hmm. That's just not going to how it, be. but if you're totally committed and you're 100% aware of the industry and what the real clients are like, then you're just going to blast through the shitty clients until you get to a good one. And you're going to be like, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. So it, it totally depends on like the state of the person entering. But I really do think uh, more often than not, you should spend a lot of time saying no and a little time saying yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you won't know about a project until you open communications, right? So, right, yeah. So. so talk to a bunch of people, get on the phone with a bunch of people, try and understand their projects. And I think as you do, you'll get a feel for for who knows what they're talking about and who's ready. Um, how can you tell for, for you? How can you tell that somebody knows enough about a project that you want to work on it and you feel like you can see it and you feel like mm -hmm. you can get a handle on it? Well, I... I tend to view things from a macro perspective in general, from kind of a, a global perspective. And so I like to know that somebody has a good grasp of their project from kind of a larger view, but then also that they they can get into the details as far as yeah. features, right? I mean, yeah, there's like core functionality and they should be able to describe that very well. Yeah. So I think I completely agree. I find the best people are the ones that can tie a thread from the littlest detail to the biggest vision. Mm -hmm. If they can tie a thread from how this button click affects like Africa, if that, if that's mm -hmm. their business model, like mm -hmm. giving, you know, chair, like charity water, you give money and, um, they build wells in Africa, literally on button click, you donate money and then a well gets built in Africa. So the person that can describe to you in a couple sentences, how that ties together is really a keeper because he's the one that's, or she's the one, whichever they've thought it through, right? Mm -hmm. They've thought it through enough that they probably have documents. They probably have a formal business or at least an idea for a business plan and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So any documentation they have, like the more, the more, the better, assuming that it's, you know, well-written and clear. If they come at you and, and you, you, maybe you like the person, maybe you like their personality and you want to work with them. Um, and maybe stuff isn't quite as clear as you'd like, you know, you could push back and just say, you know, get them thinking more about their project, um, mm -hmm. to help them clarify. Um, I think, I think that's definitely, definitely possible. But one thing that's important to keep in mind as you're going through your first project, definitely, and every project from here on, you have to think of it as a stepping stone. 
Okay. You can get comfortable working with a client or with a specific skill set. You can get comfortable and not want to move on. And that's kind of death in this career. I mean, you have to be growing. You have to be moving. So this project, your project, it's a stepping stone. Always keep that in mind and think, think two or three projects ahead, you know, two or three projects out because if your mind is always two or three projects, like on the next project and the next one after that, as far as, as far as your goals, right? As you're thinking like, what do I want to do next? What project should I look at next? What kind of technologies do I want to work with? Those kinds of things. Then the project that you're on, um, you will have a desire to, um, to do it and you should do it well, but to wrap it up, right? Cause, um, yeah. Danny in the pre-show, we were talking how you can, you can get comfortable with the project and then you want, you never want the project to end. And mm-hmm. so you might propose more features and yeah. like you want to build it and continue to build on it because you don't want to leave, right? It's comfortable. Yeah. But always keep in mind the next things so that when you're working on this project here, that there's perspective and you have an end. There's an end of this project to, to make sure that you're only working and only doing what, what you need to do for that project. Right. And I'll say that there's a bit of a psychological challenge with this. Being a freelancer, you naturally want to keep a client because it feels like you have a real nine to five job. So for instance, I had a client for about a year and a half and it was a great client, probably the best client I've ever had. We ended up being amazing friends. The whole team was really cool. Everybody enjoyed each other's company. And I worked for them pretty much nonstop for a year and a half. And it was very cool because it felt as though I were employed by a regular company and Mm -hmm. I had a regular nine to five kind of, but I could still work on my own schedule. The Hmm. problem with that is like Keith said, you get stuck in that rut and it is, it can be a rut. It doesn't always have to be a rut, but you do get stuck in it. And the concept of being able to look into the future at other projects, it's not just something that get you from one stepping stone to the next, it it will keep your financial future, I feel like personally, going up as opposed mm-hmm. to flatlining. Mm-hmm. So th- this is what happens with people that work at the same job or an agency or a web development agency for many years. They they stay at the same financial flatline, which that's totally fine if, if you're comfortable there. But if you move from project to project, you're more likely to go up in, in nature. Mm-hmm. And part of that is that you know, when you when you look for projects, look for things that are challenging. If you only work on projects that you're comfortable with, that are within your skill set, then you, you won't have an opportunity to grow and to potentially make more money doing doing more. And so goals are huge. I would not be where I am if I hadn't set some some goals early on and and kept those in mind. And so, you know, as far as goals like I want to learn this technology. I want to have a career in web development. I want to, you know, do these different things. In general, set some specific goals, some smart goals. Let's give examples. What are your goals right now? Yeah. So right now, my goal, I get, so let me step back. My goal before I got this job was to work in web development for probably about two years and then to move up and be a project manager and then move on from there. And so that was kind of like my five year, you know, two, two to five year goal. Right. And it was interesting because when I interviewed for the position I was at, you know, they asked me what my goals were. And I, I that's what I told them. And I, I found out later that, that that's why they hired me. They wanted a web developer now because I needed help doing stuff now. But they're building a company and they need somebody to to run the web Product. development team. 
yeah, yeah. the product. And so it was because I had those goals that I got this job, right? Very cool. But, but that is happening and that, and I'm actively, you know, building processes and things in place to be able to do that. Very cool. And it, you also got a freelance job as a project manager too. Right. So I'm, I'm, you know, thinking, thinking in the future and thinking what skills I'm going to want and need even in my current job. And so I have a, a freelance project I'm working on right now where I'm, all I'm doing is project management and it's a blast. And I'll probably share some more as I, as I get into it. Hmm. Very cool. Yeah. It's been fun. So you have a project, you want clarification on the project. You want to make sure that the person you're working with knows what they want. Um, if it's not clear, push back. It's a stepping stone. Think about your goals. When you're in the project working with someone, do you have any tips or tricks on on working with with somebody like this? Yeah, I mean, you're going to be communicating asynchronously a lot. So you're going to be communicating over email and perhaps voicemail, text message, that sort of thing. Now, there's a number of challenges with this. I've found a whole host of issues with working with clients that have products that need rigorous testing. So you do an iteration for a client and then they go and test it and then they, they come back to you with some feedback and you're supposed to do that and then another testing round begins and then they come back to you again and so on and so forth. Now, that's useful and I found that to be okay, but when you're working in such an asynchronous fashion, sometimes you really need people to be testing live as you're building and mm. this also is is a speed thing. So oftentimes I do very, very quick builds of MVP products for people. And I'll have them on Skype for like six hours, hmm. just building the first prototype and testing it live. I haven't done that in a while, like about a year or so, but I used to do that all the time and it, it's really helpful. So don't rely on email for everything. Get them on chat if you need, but be very sparing about it. They have busy lives as well and they probably get way more email than you do. So make sure that if you do use email, you're quick and to the point, but not mm -hmm. such that you're um, terse. You don't mm -hmm. want to come across as terse. You want to come across as friendly, but still to the point. If you have action items, I mean, I've gotten to the point where with emails, most of my emails are now bullet list at my day job because yeah. we get so much email. Most of it is bullet lists. And then if there's action items, I'll literally bold the person's name and be like action items for you, one, two, three. And then, mm -hmm. you know, literally as unbelievably explicit as possible, right? right? There's no, any amount of interpolation that you put in an email that you expect somebody else to do is basically a chance for them to not do it, right? Or so, to misunderstand. Yeah, or to misunderstand or to any number of things, right? So just be very explicit, but again, don't come off as terse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so- I, if, I use a lot of smiley faces. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, funny, but I do. Yeah. So if you're coming across an issue with something and you need and and you want to present that to somebody that you like somebody that you're working with, um, think through it yourself first, you know, think through it um, and come up with questions that they can just answer. Right. So ask the question. Don't just don't just throw an issue at them. Yeah. Um, come with some solutions or some, you know, some other opportunities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When when you're communicating if somebody sends you an email or a text or something, respond quickly. Okay. You know? So here's a, this is a big topic, right? We don't have mm -hmm. to spend, we don't have to spend long on it, but it's usually the case that you're either a slow email replier or a quick one. And mm -hmm. there's usually not a lot of in the middle, but I found that 
oftentimes my, my favorite way to do email is if there's somebody that comes in with a quick request that is two to four sentences and takes minimal brain effort, I'll respond immediately. But mm. if there's anything that is not urgent or requires investigation, I'll push that off until a break time and basically call all those until the same time and then and execute them all at once. Mm. And, and then also you want to keep in mind that if you have email that's been sitting at the bottom of your inbox at the very last you need to go through that, I would say, once every two to three days. I do it once every two days religiously, I would say, maybe three, like once or twice every couple months. Mm-hmm. But go to the bottom and work your way up. Um, very critical because you don't want people to ever feel like you've gone dark, mm-hmm. which is another thing that sometimes freelancers make a mistake doing is they go just com- – you can't contact them. <laughs> they come back with your site, but like – you weren't able to contact them for two weeks and that's completely unacceptable. Right. Yeah. Dane, was there anything else we should talk about for getting your first project or working on your first project, working with people? I don't think so specifically. We are going to have more advanced lessons in the future regarding advanced freelancing, billing clients. We have an entire roadmap that we're working on for freelancing specifically, Mm -hmm. but in parting, I would say a few things. I would say, Again, spend a good amount of time looking for your first client. Understand that you can learn whatever it is that they want you to do within two weeks. If you are able to hustle, you're able to learn whatever it is they need you to do within two weeks. So you theoretically can take on almost any project that you can imagine because you can learn it. It's totally possible. It's not it's not something that should be stopping you, mm-hmm. especially if you're here learning with us and you are putting off getting a client for a couple years because you want to get a foundation under you and then your first client you're going to make money off of, don't think that way. Instead, get a client now for free. You get all these added benefits that we've discussed this entire episode. I would definitely take that route. Even if you wanted to get a job later, Mm -hmm. go ahead and get started now. Right, yeah. I mean, freelancing at the beginning here is a great way to get a career somewhere. And when's the first time you started freelancing after you started learning? So I didn't have this advice when I started, and I I honestly wish I had. So I worked on a few personal projects. Cool, yeah. I remember, actually, you built the PHP-based back-end solution for the job that you had at the time. Right. So I worked in self-storage, and it was a... an application that helped us manage uh, self-stored leads yeah. and between three of our facilities. So it was a lot of fun. It was uh, mm-hmm. It's actually still being used, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I do have it on my portfolio, but I don't, you know, I didn't work with anybody. It wasn't, it wasn't something that, that provided me like, you know, good training as far as working with clients or any kind of a networking benefit. Here's an idea. Uh, just like your first project where you built it around the business you are already in, I feel like that's very useful. Probably thousands of people are learning web development while they're in an already existing job. Mm -hmm. Perhaps not in the technology sector, but here's what I would challenge everybody listening with. Could you communicate with the people in your job, either your manager, boss, friend, peer, whatever, and see if there is something fun that you could build on the side that would add value Mm -hmm. to your company? Mm Mm-hmm. Because by doing that, if you're able to get something that everybody agrees on that would be awesome and a value add for your company and you can build it, then what you'll get is all the benefits that we just discussed. You'll be communicating with people about the project. You'll be doing project management. You'll be doing all these different things 
Mm-hmm. Even though you don't have a client to do it that you went out and looked for, you found it within your own company. So, so think, I challenge you to think more creatively about this. You don't have to go and, and, you know, hat mm-hmm. in hand asking people for projects. You can really approach this in different unique ways like you did, Keith. Yeah. And there's no reason in the world why you shouldn't put something like that on your, uh, on your portfolio because for sure you built this you know, this project for this company. Um, It doesn't matter that you actually were working at the company at the time. Exactly. We've talked a lot about projects. Where can we find some projects? What is your favorite? So you talked about, uh, let's see here, build it with me. Yeah. I think that's dead, right? It, 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 well, it's still up, but the activity is gone. It used to be the best secret weapon, I swear. But now any site where you can go to find people trading ideas for equity Mm -hmm. is going to benefit you. So you have to think about this from a strategic point of view. You don't want to use Craigslist. One of the sites that I've been keeping tabs on is CollabFinder, and that's just collabfinder.com. And that is pretty sweet. It looks very similar to Build It With Me. In fact, I think it is pretty much the same core functionality, but um, it has... I mean, it looks way better. Uh, and I guess they have like 5,500 people on there looking to collaborate, which is cool. So that... I say would probably be your primary primary source. There's other places. Uh, there's one like founder to be and uh, founder to be.com. And that's cool. But what that is, is it's connecting two people to be founders of a company, right? And there's kind of a different expectation there. You're kind of expected to become a partner in a company. And it may not be this kind of quick one-off project that'll help you build your portfolio towards something else, like what we're talking about here. And that may be great to do something like that later on. But for building your skills and getting your portfolio, that's different. So you could use Craigslist and find people that need work and just do it for free or find people who are asking you to do free work. I think kind of the difference is that if you're on CollabFinder or the other one that we have here is Equity Lancer, equitylancer.com, if you're on a service like that, you know, and you connect with somebody, there's an automatic assumption that you know something about the industry, that you know what you're talking about. And we touched on this earlier where that's good because you don't have to prove yourself so much, right? Maybe the questions won't come up. And so that's why we'd recommend just kind of sticking with the more developer for equity kind of kind of platform, at least for now. So we hope that was a helpful overview for you. If you have questions, you can definitely hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Keith Mon. And I'm at underscore Dane, D-A-I-N. Or you can go onto the website, starthere.fm. This episode, you'll find show notes, and you can leave comments for the show at uh, starthere.fm slash webdev slash eight. But reach out if you've got more questions about this, and please do, because a lot of the things we talked about today are going to be topics that we delve into deeper later on. And so we would love to to know if you've got more questions. Thanks for listening. We're going to be covering some more in-depth topics about server-side languages and frameworks, uh, specifically some specific languages and frameworks. Yeah. I'm really excited about the next few weeks. We're doing Ruby and Ruby on Rails, PHP and Laravel, Python and Django, JavaScript and Node. Mm-hmm. Those are going to be all separate episodes where we dive in pretty deeply on a framework and a language perhaps not the most deep that we could go but this will be at least a great introduction for you on each of these frameworks and languages Mm -hmm. yeah and after we finish these episodes it should provide uh, a good overview and give you a good feel for for these different options yeah awesome thanks for listening today we hope you have a great day and we will catch you next time bye bye